Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I am Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season three, episode 10, Ridicule. So this dude walks into an apartment and he's like calling for somebody named Sid. He's like, Sid. And he hears music coming from the bedroom. It's like 80s sex music and it's dark and there are candles lit. Any other scenario, like the beginning of old school, I'm like, oh no, he's going to walk in and find his girlfriend in bed and then people in blindfolds. (laughs) They came here for the gangbang? I feel really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love Juliette Lewis. But it's SVU, so you're like, it's going to find a sexy dead body. (laughs) Yeah. He kind of opens the bedroom half way to see a woman kind of like just kind of her backside like bent over and he's like hey if you want me to stay this isn't how when you see the door open it appears that he's caught her in some sexy situation she looks like she's on her knees on the bed but we literally see just like yeah, the like, back half of it from the profile yeah so then he opens the door fully to see her hanging by her neck tied to the ceiling fan like not dangling hanging not dangly hanging like jesus tricky tricky svu She initially appears to be upright, so we would never guess anything else. And these writers live for a fucking gasp because Mm -hmm. normally if somebody was hanging in the universe, we would be like, oh, my God. Or you would expect her to be laying on the bed. She's not laying on the bed. So you think you're going to catch her like up to the very last fucking second. And then Mm -hmm. they're like, nope, nope, yeah, (gasps) nope. Yeah. And then I was thinking about like the set of SVU and I'm like, do you think they do scare gags like fucking Ellen? Like Dick Wolf's oh, jumping God. out of a trash can and shit. I could never work for Ellen. <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't. Hot take. In, I couldn't. Yeah. I mean, I could never work in a situation where I was being jumped out scared. All, like, I don't like that. Okay. So forensics and the SVU team are in the apartment now. Corner Warner's not there. She's at an Emmy conference, so they are going to be working with this Emmy Justin all week. So Justin tells them that it looks like autoerotic asphyxiation. The victim's name is Sydney Green. She's in her early 30s. Her husband found her. He was flipping out, so the cops drove him to the precinct. He had actually cut her down and turned off the music. And when uh, forensics got there, rigor was just setting in. So she had only been dead maybe like three to four hours. Emmy Justin doesn't expect to find any fluids on her. And he's like pretty damn sure it's like an autoerotic situation because she had porn on the bed, music and, and mirror set up. But he says he won't know for sure until he does an autopsy. And Benson wants to work it as a sexual homicide until they find out for sure. Stabler's like, if you want to do something right, you got to do it yourself. Ugh. Yeah. So now we're at the precinct. Sid's husband, Andrew, doesn't think that she had ever done any asphyxiating before. He literally goes, she's not that kind of person. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me? You have no fucking idea what ki- what kinks people have. You could be in a relationship with somebody for decades and yeah. not know their kinks. Yeah. So Benson and Stabler are asking him why he and Sid weren't getting along and where he was before he found her. So he's starting to get irritated about why they're asking him these questions. He just wants her murderer found. He's convinced that she was murdered. Listen, guy, have you never seen one episode of Dateline? It's the husband's first. Like, why are you mad at that? Let them fucking do their shit. It's the husband first, then everybody else. Right. Sid's husband says that he wanted the separation because they got married too fast. Benson said it's possible that Sid hid her asphyxia stuff from him. He's just all agitated and he wants to know when they're going to release the body. So now we're in the squad room. 
Benson and Stabler think that the husband is hiding something. They think that she was either hiding a new sexual partner or that her husband got there earlier than he said. And then Munch is like, if she had a partner, it's manslaughter, even if it was an accident. The visitor's log at Sid's apartment says Pam Adler and Amelia Chase both arrived to Sid's house at lunch that day. And then Toots is like, oh my God, Pam Adler, I know her. She's a criminal attorney. Apparently she cross-examined Toots on a drug case where a cop got killed and accused Toots of police brutality. He was like all huffy about it. Like you can tell he's not a fan of Pam Adler. So Benson and Stabler are going to go talk to Pam since Toots has history with her. Now we're at the law office of Adler Rose and Klein. All right, we walk in, we see Pam. I got a lot to say. Mm-hmm. Was she on Party of Five? Yeah. Was she on NYPD Blue? Who cares? This is fucking April O'Neil reporting live from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 <gasps> and 3. Whoa. Oh, I spent too much time on this. Why not the original live action film? I'm glad that you asked, Gabe, because <laughs> that was Judith Hogue and she was recast because she was deemed too difficult. And now I'm talking about somebody else. She didn't like the six day work weeks. She complained about the violence on set just because it was like an action-y whatever movie. And there were non-union protected stunt dudes getting hurt and then they would just ship them off because they were from other countries. So she was like, this is bullshit and and they were like, you're difficult. Yes. Oh, my God. She was, like, advocating for work, good work environment. Yes. Ugh, what a bitch. And I think this was just, like, nitpicking at this point. But they were also like, she didn't like that she had to have a perm to be April. And it's like, okay. It, I'm pretty sure it had more to do with people being injured and then, you know, yeah. like, swept under the rug. But whatever. Anywho, Pam is April 2, actor Paige Turco. And she's got Aunt Becky face. Aunt Becky face. Lori Laughlin. Who the fuck is Lori Laughlin? Everywhere you look. She's Aunt Becky. This (laughs) this woman, whenever I see this woman, she just looks like fucking Aunt Becky to me. Aunt Becky. Everywhere you... She does. Yeah. (laughs) We all have to speed on Pam. (laughs) Anyway, we're with Pam. We're in Pam's office. Pam's an attorney. She tells Benson and Stabler that she and Sydney were close friends. They met at Vassar. And it sounds like Sid was actually wanting a divorce and had contacted an attorney that Pam knows. Like, she hooked her up with an attorney. Yeah. Pam, Sid, and Amelia were all supposed to meet for lunch, but Sid didn't show up, so Amelia and Pam went to Sid's apartment, but she said she wanted to be alone. But she kind of thinks that she had company because she was wearing a robe and there were candles and music and her bedroom door was closed. Pam says that she did didn't know who it could be, but she said this, quote, Andrew's no prize. He's an artist with questionable talent who married a meal ticket. Oof. Mm-hmm. And this is where I go, I think I love Pam. <laughs> yeah. Just know that this was my first watch. <laughs> She tells the detectives that Andrew and Sid had met on a Caribbean vacation. She's like, where the little bastard got the money, I'll never know. But I at least got Sydney to sign a prenup. That's a good friend, though. Yeah, that that part. Pam's concerned that all this questioning means that there was foul play. And Stabler tells her, since the cause of death is pending, the law says that they have to treat it like a homicide investigation. And then Pam goes, what you know about the law could fit in the palm of my hand. (laughs) Yeah, and then like... Stable was like, what? Yeah, Benson were kind of like, all right, bitch. <laughs> but it's like Cabot could say the same thing, but she's just not that cunty. Yeah. She's like professionally cunty. Mm-hmm. She lets her confidence show in mm-hmm. the, the tailoring of her skirt suits and her performance in the courtroom. Like She True. doesn't need to tell you how much she knows. She'll show you. Yeah. 
Pam, you ain't no fucking Alex Cabot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pam tells them to call Sid's divorce attorney to find out how much Sid was worth. Mm-hmm. Then they're done there. Then they're done there. <laughs> <laughs> that scene is over. End scene. Next. <laughs> So now we're at the courthouse. Benson and Stabler are chatting with Sid's divorce lawyer. He says that Sid made a killing in junk bonds. Sid lost most everything in tech, but her house is mortgaged and the life insurance will pay off most of her debts. Sid's husband, Andrew, maybe will get 50K. And Benson's like, well, that's still a lot of money. And this guy's like, in Manhattan, please, or something. Close. He goes, in Manhattan? Don't kid me. I'm like, who is this guy? Fucking Borat? (laughs) Don't kid me. His wife. (laughs) This guy. Jesus. I hated everybody this episode. I know. Except for Pam. My radar was so far off on everyone. But if Sid was still alive, Andrew would have gotten nothing because of the prenup. Sid's divorce lawyer doesn't think Andrew knew about Sid's finances since she handled the money. You know, so he wouldn't have known that he wasn't going to get anything. Mm -hmm. So it's still motive. So outside of a building, Munch and Toots are waiting for Amelia to come. This is the other lady that went to go visit Sid with Pam. Toots is bitching about how long it's taking. She's in like a spa or something. I don't know, whatever. Munch says some bullshit about how women learn early to waste both time and money. And he's a bitter old fuck. And I fucking hate him. I'll give you that one. He was super douchey. Yeah. So then fucking Amelia walks to them and she's got like shopping bags and it's what's her face. I don't want to give away any of the seasons coming up, but she becomes a DA later. (laughs) It's, Casey Novak, DA Casey Novak. But for now, we have to pretend she's someone else. And that was super hard for me this mm-hmm. entire episode. So they want to talk to her about Sid. Amelia still has some errands to run. So they're going to do like a walk and talk. Yeah. She's like, will you walk with me? And they're like, oh, really? I'm buried through a thousand steps today. We got, we got to get moving. <laughs> she says she met Sid at Goldman when Sid made a ton of money on those sweet, sweet junks. <laughs> Like, I'm like, I need to Google what junk bonds are. Okay. Amelia says that they stayed buds, but Sid was a little too risque for her, but she doesn't want to elaborate. Amelia's like, I don't understand. Like, I just assumed Sid's death was an accident. So she says that Sid lived on the edge in all aspects of her life. She was into that rope around the neck kink stuff, drugs. Amelia says that some way her and Sid were kindred spirits, as in there aren't a lot of women in their business and both liked making a ton of money and like showing up the dudes in the boys club you know so now we're at the precinct munch tells the gang that amelia said that sid was a choker i don't even know if that's like a correct term for that i actually i don't know at all actually Mm -mm, me neither if it isn't sorry guys let us know yeah toots doesn't think that amelia seems sad enough about sid dying which i think is fucking weird but they're just kind of just like rolling around all these kinds of ideas on what maybe happened now the next scene is the (laughs) interrogation room yeah benson and stabler have andrew in there benson asks him if he killed sid for the money or if the choking was an accident like hey bud you need to tell us or you could get in trouble and the music gets really swelly and andrew gives in and says that he and sid told everyone that they met on the islands but actually they met at a rehab called narconon for painkillers Mm. He says that he would have stuck by her through anything, but she was doing drugs again and losing control. She had a bachelorette party and she and her friends attacked a male stripper. It was reported and the cops were waiting for Andrew and Sid when they returned from their honeymoon. Andrew says that the women at this party raped the stripper. That's what he and Sid had been fighting about. He thinks that maybe the stripper killed her. The next three seconds of this fucking scene tells me everything I need to know about this episode. I know when it just goes to Stabler and Benson's face and they're Mm. like, oh, what 
right. So the camera hard stays on Benson and she looks shocked like she's processing it. Then it cuts to Stabe and his face is the visual of this sound. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which he makes that sound throughout the entire episode to a fucking victim. But that's that's his. Yeah. yeah. This episode is going to be so bad bad mm-hmm. so bad <laughs> oh god i hated it okay so now we're on the street benson and stabler walk up to a van that is like a homeless dog's van thing <laughs> what the fuck is it why is my brain off today they pulled up to a homeless dog's van <laughs> it's just this dog who's down on his luck and he's kind of got like shaggy a shaggy dog with he's, a fucking he's cigar got hanging shaggy face. <laughs> he's like a he's like a terrier and he's got a scarf on and fingerless gloves <laughs> Andy's a cartoon as well. Yeah. What are those called? It's a mobile care facility for dogs that are homeless. homeless. For yeah, for dogs that are on the street. It's a shelter. It's from a dog shelter. It's a van. Okay. Driven by a cartoon dog. Underdog pulls up and he's like, "Hey, does anybody need a bath?" (laughs) (laughs) So they're like, "We're looking for Peter Smith." I, I love the way he popped out from behind the van. Yeah. He, was, he was just like pops out from behind the van, just his head. And he's like holding a puppy. This man is literally the only person in New York that will stop what he's doing to talk to the cops. He literally was like, are you guys here about? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, here, can you, uh, he hands the puppy to a coworker. And he's like, I'm taking a break. Don't worry. I'll be right back. He actually yeah. says that and like steps off to talk to the fucking police. That for sure is the first time. I was thinking that Sphuniverse New Yorkers would be watching and going, what a great job. How do you get a gig like that? You could just take five when detectives need to chat with you about a homicide. That's incredible. (laughs) Peter asked Benson and Stabler if they found out the names of the other women who raped him. Benson and Stabler asked him if he's seen Sid since the, quote, alleged rape. And Andrew does not like that. And neither do I. You know, and then I'm like, this is going to be one of those fucking episodes where like middle America and the early 2000s are conflicted about if a man can get raped or not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Peter says he hasn't seen or talked to Sid since her and her friends raped him. And then Peter's getting irritated, obviously, and rightfully so. And he's like, if you're not here to help me, like, what is this about? And they tell him that Sid's dead and that he's someone with a reason to kill her. He's like, dude, the cops treated me like shit. When they took me to the hospital, they made fun of me and they brought me to the nurses and told them it was a scam. And I was like, holy shit. He's like, I have a fucking reason to be angry, but I did not kill anyone. He tells them to check with his supervisor at the animal shelter because he was there until late evening. Now we're in the Emmy office. Munch and Toots are asking Justin the Emmy for the week if it was for sure autoerotic asphyxiation. And he's got this mannequin tied up with ropes to show how it was done. This this mannequin also, for some reason, has like a crazy perm. <laughs> like, I'm like, why? Why did he put on a wig on that? And a black leotard. It yeah. looked like this guy was just super into Rocky Horror or something. Oh my God, yeah. And he was just like, I'm going to bring my own personal mannequin in for this. Basically, Sid miscalculated shit, passed out, and the counterweight of her body gently strangled her with the rope that she had set up. Mm-hmm. Gah. Yeah. And this, he was just like, this is cut and dry, you know? So now we're all in this walk and talk. Toots is telling Stabler and Benson about the Emmy and the doll and that Justin is sure that it was an accidental death. So they've got nothing so far. No sign of a struggle or a break in. And Peter, the stripper with the heart of gold who takes care of dogs on the street, mm-hmm. his alibi checked out. And Stabler's like, mm, I just feel like something's off. He can't accept that it's an accidental death. Benson was like, do you want this to be a murder? And then Tooth was like, yeah, so let me know um, what you think since you got all this fucking time on your hands to like yeah. whatever. And he was like, fine, let's close it. Yeah. 
<laughs> and Benson's like, Peter's rape case is still open. And Stabler's like, no. Ugh. And Benson's like, well, Cabot wants to see us in her office. So, yeah. Oh my God. Now we're in Cabot's office. Stabler's pacing around asking if Peter was drugged. Uh, Benson's like, he doesn't need to be. Stabler's like, was there a weapon? Benson's like, none were listed. Stabler's fucking super irritated because he can't wrap his mind around this. Benson tells Cabot that the cops asked Peter a few questions initially and then dropped it. Stabler says, yeah, they didn't buy it and neither do I. And more importantly, neither will the jury. And I was like, this is so fucking problematic. Stabler needs a new job. Go back to busting heads and homicide. Get out of SVU. Right. Or go get a job as a weird summer camp cook with a soup can BFF and a relationship <laughs> with a refrigerator. I don't know. Something else. <laughs> Cabot's like, this character and went out of American summer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know you know. <laughs> Cabot is like, I'll make sure the jury understands. That's my job. Don't fucking worry about what I'm doing. He's always worried about what the fuck, whatever. I know how to do everybody's job better. Yeah. Well, you don't know how to spend more time with your wife and kids, but whatever. <laughs> um, Sailor thinks Peter is saying this to gain attention. He's like, oh, the first male with female attackers. And then Cabot rightfully says, um, no, he's the first to come forward. Stabler fucking continues and says, what about his inability to complete the act against his will? And Benson's like, uh, an erection is a physical response, Elliot. Mm -hmm. And they're both getting like louder and louder. And then Stabler like kind of yells, if he was aroused, he consented. And I'm like, oh my God, no, you sound stupid. And then Cabot jumps in and says, the law disagrees with you, Stabes. She wants him to go interview Peter and get a statement. Mm -hmm. So Stabler jabs at Cabot because he's a piece of shit this episode. And he says, it's your predecessor who declined to prosecute. So maybe you should go find out why before we go chasing our tails. Cabot just looks at him like, Okay. Oh my God. What is the point of fucking arguing with this Neanderthal? Also, Stabes, your job is to carry out investigations, not give your editorial opinion. Okay. Shut up and do your job. Imagine if this were Munch. Oh my God. I would have already jumped off. You would divorce me. It's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> and it's not worth it. I love you. I love you. Hold on. I gotta drink some water. I got fucking, I'm mad at Stabler dry mouth. <laughs> I'm being dramatic. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got Cabot and here her predecessor doing a walk and talk. Everybody keeps fucking throwing out the phrase alleged victim and I fucking mm -hmm. hate it. Mm -hmm. So the quote alleged victim Peter Smith works as a stripper and his whole getup is like this motorcycle cop with like a big badge over his wang, which is like soups hot. Pull over. <laughs> Pull over. It's a cardigan, but thanks for noticing. <laughs> so this... That's from Dumb and Dark. <laughs> Don't laugh at me saying that shit. <laughs> Look at I shame you for laughing at my bad jokes. So this dude... The Cabot's predecessor did not prosecute because the attackers claimed Peter was a sex worker. Cabot's kind of writing his ass about, about that, and, and I love her for this. She's like, well, I don't understand. Does Peter have any solicitation history? And the guy's like, no. And she's like, well, what the fuck? Why didn't you follow this through? He says to Cabot, if you want to lose your standing on a no-win case, be my guest. And she responds like, okay, I need your notes. Yeah. She can get it done. Now we're at Peter's ex-girlfriend's job she's a server at a restaurant it's not a puppy van so they have to follow her around while she sets tables and does other server side work 
Mm -hmm. I hated this scene so much because there wasn't a single puppy in it. (laughs) And this lady's a bitch. So this lady, it's been 20 years. She's a Karen now. You know what I mean? So she tells Benson and the Stabler that they broke up a while ago and she wasn't at the party, so she doesn't know anything. But she doesn't think Peter was raped. The end of the conversation should have been she wasn't at the party, so she doesn't know anything. Yeah. But instead, she's like, he's a guy. Men don't get raped by women. And... She says that when she met Peter, he was being kept by a woman 12 years his senior, which is basically she was his sugar mama. Mm -hmm. This woman was paying his tuition at NYU. Peter's parents are rich, but said they wouldn't pay a bunch of money for a drama degree. She thinks Peter is claiming rape for attention. Apparently, he cheated on her with a casting director, and she thinks Peter will do whatever it takes to get cast. All that attention will get him a ton of interviews, etc. Peter's ex walks away and Benson says to Stabler, doesn't prove anything. It's not our job to judge the victims. It's up to the jury. Yeah, because Staves looked at Benny like, see, she agrees with me. See, this dumb bitch who's a bitch agrees with me. (laughs) Yeah, well, and this is just like when women get raped, you know, they're past gets dragged and they have to prove that they didn't deserve it. (laughs) So now we're at the precinct. Huang and Stabler are talking and eating lunch. Pause. I don't need to die on this hill, okay? And I know some people (laughs) like it, and that's great. But why is it okay for Stabler to eat and talk and we can't? Is it his sex appeal (sighs) from earlier? Answer this for us, you guys. He's like, yeah, I don't really know. He's got a hoagie in his throat while he's talking to (laughs) Huang. (laughs) And Huang's got legit a ceramic bowl of soup. Yeah, I was like, wondering what he was eating. He, it was some sort of soup, but I don't know. And you crackers. Just think, you think it would be like a cup of noodles or something that was a little more conducive to like taking... To, did he bring a Tupperware container and then heat it up and brought a bowl? He seems like a classy guy, though. I'm sure he did, had like a... a maybe it, maybe it looked too. like it, but it was like styrofoam takeout. No. It just looked like it. No? I, okay. I, I studied it. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, that is a ceramic bowl. You can see and the way s- the light is... <laughs> bouncing off the I know I know a styrofoam glare and a ceramic glare they're very different <laughs> just like in squid game you know your instead of the glass <gasps> oh you know my your, god you know your ceramics Huang and Stabler are talking and eating lunch Wong thinks that he can give an assessment of Peter but Stabler must understand that he hasn't met him yet and Stabler's like how did Peter Smith let three women get the better of him the guy works out and takes care of himself and I am just like what the actual fuck yeah and Wong says and yet you tell women not to fight back and Stabler says well that's different but Huang's like, but why? And Stabler says it's because Peter is a man and stronger and can overpower them. And I am just like, kill me. Fucking kill me. Huang touches on how men are taught differently, like no crying, you know, quote, be a man, internalize everything, which is so f- true and gross. Huang asks Stabler if Peter has any siblings and he has three. So Huang thinks that having three sisters is a quote, like a lifetime of instruction on how to treat women. Never hit, no manhandling. If you're angry, walk away. To me, this is wildly fucked answer for shit. Stabler argues that if Peter felt trapped, why didn't he fight back? You know, he's like, yeah, you never hit women, but if you're fucking backed into a corner kind of a thing and it's self-defense. Huang thinks that Peter had no control over the situation, which he absolutely, he absolutely did not. Mm-hmm. 
Like his self-esteem and pride were violated. Huang says he wouldn't be surprised if there were more male victims out there. And I'm like, oh my God, of course there is. Of course there is. You're fucking, how do you not know that? You're. F- he does I, know that though. I, I know, but he says, I wouldn't be surprised if there were more male victims out there. Like he doesn't already know that. Like, of course there is. Why is there just this one guy in the entire, whatever. And then Stabler says, quote, female rage is a growth industry. And fucking Wong says the price of equality and I'm so fucking disappointed. I read this exchange a little bit differently than you did, because to me, it sounded like Huang was trying to get Stabes to see that his Neanderthal viewpoint was limited. He answers all of Stabes' whys and saying the price of equality is men having to deal with women's anger. Like, I saw all of Huang's side being positive and awesome and calm. The way he kind of playfully talks about shit, or like when he's leading someone down a path, Mm. You know, he just was letting Stabler have his view, but kind of like planting little seeds Mm. and not getting emotionally invested in it. Yeah. Okay. You disagree and that's okay. (laughs) Right. And I love you. Let me do interview room. Benson and Stabler are asking Peter questions about the night he was raped. Stabler asks Peter if he's still a stripper, whatever. Peter says he quit that since the rape. Peter says he also gave up acting. So Stabler's acting like really overly annoyed and like huffing and puffing and sighing and shit. Like, tell us about how you were raped. Mm -hmm. Peter says he got to the bachelorette party late. There are about 30 women there partying and like they were ready for some entertainment. They're getting, they're kind of sauced. He asked the bride to be Sydney for payment and she asked him to follow her to her office for her checkbook. Stabler asked him if he was maybe drugged or anything. And this dude's like, dude, do you need a reason why this happened to me? Why I wasn't man enough to protect myself? Would that make you fucking feel better? Benson asked Peter what else happened. So he says the room is dark and Sydney made her way to the desk and turned the light on. It was actually a spare bedroom and and there were two other women waiting one of the women had a letter opener and tried to stab him and their other two were like pulling him back and they cuffed him to the bedpost when he started yelling sydney turned the stereo on super loud so peter kind of gets a little upset and stands up and like looks out the window classic svu emotional window moment Mm -hmm. he says that they yanked his pants and underwear off and he was like i didn't want to but my body i can't explain it benson stands up and she's like dude arousal does not mean consent rapists use the body's response against the victim to mess with their heads to make them believe they were asking for it and then peter asks benson um does this kind of thing happen to women and she's like oh my god all the time like it happens a lot like you're okay anyway benson's (sighs) fantastic in this whole thing like she's she is not only being an amazing support for this victim through telling his story but she's also battling somebody in the very same room who is challenging their story Mm -hmm. which is incredible and this is why she's the queen of everything yeah. Stabler asked where all the other guests were. They were all partying until Sid left the spare room and like made everybody leave. And Stabler's like, did you ever say no? And whatever. And Pete said that he's like, I yelled it. I screamed it. I even threatened to go to the police. Peter says, quote, one cold bitch said that what I knew about the law, she could fit in the palm of her hand. So Benson and Stabler like, look at each other. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Gabe stops packing her bag to leave Stabes and she's like, what? (laughs) She's like, kids, get out and get back out of the car. We're staying for this. 
So Benson and Stabler like look at each other because lawyer Pam said that to them. Remember? Yeah. Remember everybody? Now we're at the precinct. Benson and Stabler walk in and tell the gang they think Pam Adler was in the bedroom Peter was raped in. And then Munch is like, well, that means Amelia Chase is the other woman. Stabler still, he's like, I don't think Peter's telling the truth. Olivia's like, dude, Peter was fucking raped. Get over it. He's a victim. Okay. And Stabler's like, he's just acting. Does this challenge your masculinity, your ego? Like, what is this? What are you not getting here, Staves? It does. All white men are connected ESP or something. I don't know. Are you talking about the giant tree that they attach their dicks to and all the roots are connected underground? <laughs> I was Avatar, trying to... Lincoln dicks. <laughs> I was just trying to think about... And then Toots fucking comes in. He's like, most dudes would call three women at the same time, quote, lucky. And then Ugh. Benson's like, okay, so you're saying men are just these sex hounds and only women can feel violated? That's gender bias. Stabler says most women wouldn't report rape. What's his angle? Craig and the dragon pops up and says, <laughs> we wouldn't ask a female victim that. Punch reminds everybody. He's like, mm, the police do, in fact, question female rape victims all the time. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah. And then I was like, wait, because... <laughs> Munch is just arguing for the sake of being Munch at this point. Yeah. He's like, I'm not saying we should question him, but as a matter of fact, we do question women all the time. Yeah, he's like, basically, we treat anybody that's been raped like a piece of shit. Stabler thinks that once the press gets a hold of this, Peter will be an instant star and he'll do anything to be famous. Craigan's like, doesn't matter. Exactly. You know? You don't get to throw that out, Stabler. Yeah. So he wants Pam and Amelia to come do a lineup. Now we're at Amelia's office. Munch and Toots walk right in, and Amelia's robot assistant exclaims, You can't come in here. She- <laughs> yeah. You can't come in here. <laughs> oh, what you're done. What fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, perfect timing with me and you. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, we're done. What fuck? <laughs> Grab a condom, hop on. <laughs> choo choo. What? Under this roof, we raw dog. <laughs> what? Uh, under this roof, we raw dog. <laughs> Jesus. Look under okay. the desk. I have a surprise for you. <laughs> oh, Oops. Ooh. I dropped this stapler. <laughs> Oops, I dropped these paper clips. Dude. <laughs> Why don't Are paper you? clips robot sperm? <laughs> <laughs> this stapler is also my dick. <laughs> All right, let's not do it. It's this. just a transformer built out of office supplies. <laughs> a horny, horny pile of office supplies. <laughs> Okay, so this three hole punch is getting pregnant tonight. <laughs> you want to fumble with my HDMI cable? God, I'm moving on. Wink, wink. <laughs> so we're done with that unless one of us thinks of something. <laughs> the three hole punch, dude, is getting pregnant. <laughs> That's good. Amelia is on the phone with someone and her assistant yells at them that they can't come in. They're in the office. The robot goes to jerk off in the janitor's closet. I don't know. <laughs> Amelia tells Munch and Toots to wait in reception and she'll talk to them when she can. Munch and Toots tell her that they need her now to do a lineup and she refuses if they, to if go. They, if, if they... <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
if they if they bring a magnet and do a sweep of that janitor's closet, there's gonna be paper clips everywhere. <laughs> you get it like a black light in a hotel room. <laughs> you got it, right? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> because the paper clips are jizz. Yeah. Sorry I sorry I wound up so hard and then couldn't do it and then did it. You two hand grabbed your mic. Okay, so Amelia's like, I don't want to go with you guys, and I'm not gonna. And Munch is like, um, okay, cool. Well, we'll come back when it's midday, and you're on the trading room floor. How's that? Mm. She's like, okay, fine. And she goes with them. Yeah. Back at the courthouse, Pam's outside, and she's with a client and another lawyer, and they're going into court for, like, a separate thing, because Pam's Mm -hmm. a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Munch and Toots stop her and tell her they need her at the precinct for the rape. She tells the other lawyer to ask the judge for a continuance, blah, blah, blah. She's like, just cover this for me. And she goes with Benson and Stabler. Mm Mm-hmm. So back at the precinct, Pam's lawyer, Carolyn Maddox, meets Cabot and tells her that she'll be a formidable opponent. We've seen her before, right? She's great. Uh Oh, she reoccurs as Carolyn Maddox until 2010. Nice. And she was also uh, Moet in Avatar. (gasps) Lincoln Dix. I love her voice. She's so fucking soothing. Yeah. And she's just a bad bitch. Oh. So now we're in the lineup. A bunch of women pile into the room. Peter's on the other side of the glass. Peter, like, immediately picks out Pam. Right. So Pam's lawyer, Miss Maddox, says to Cabot, looks like we're going to be famous. See you in court. So now we're at a hearing. Both Pam and Amelia plead not guilty. The judge thinks Cabot is trying to set a really dumb precedent. And I'm like, I don't fucking think this is stupid. Right. Outside of the court, the media is already all over this. They're interviewing Pam already. She's saying that she admits she had sex with Peter, but did not rape him. She's telling the media Peter is trying to get famous. Pam says her only crime is being a, quote, confident, assertive professional with a healthy sexual appetite. She claims that if Peter wins the case, it will, quote, numb the real plight of rape victims everywhere. And I'm like, what a fucking cunt. And I, you know, see the fucking angle they're going at. It's so stupid. Maddox is telling Cabot that when Pam's done with the media, she'll have feminist victim advocates and enlightened men on her side. I fucking hate that men are considered enlightened when they want, like, equal rights for whatever. I just, there's so many things I fucking hate about everything. Everything. Yeah. You're an angry (laughs) person. I'm an angry person. (laughs) Um, I'm a very angry person. She tells Cabot that she's making a mockery of women who are preyed on by men. She's like, men are the enemy, not Pam. And Cabot says, I guess I just heard your closing argument. And Maddox is like, there won't even be a trial. And then hands Cabot a motion and tells her she'll see her in the chambers. A motion to dismiss. I know that we hate this episode, but I mm-hmm. love these quick-witted, fast-talking, pants, suit, and four-inch heel-wearing, smart-as-shit women mm-hmm. going toe-to-toe with each other. Yeah. I love it. We're in the office of DA Nora Lewin. Cabot walks in. So DA Nora Lewin is that one lady. (laughs) Yeah, she's been in a ton of things. The only thing that popped in my mind at the time was the one she she was the mom in Cujo. She was the one stuck in the car with the kid. She's amazing. It's fucking Diane Wiest. Yeah. It's Diane Wiest. She was in the birdcage. Edward Scissorhands. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. She was in like every Woody Allen movie, which used to be awesome. Uh, to say uh, mm-hmm. she won an Oscar. She was in the Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. Why was Cujo the only one that could pop up? I don't my head? know. Practical <laughs> Magic. She was in so many things. And you're yeah. like, I think she was in Cujo. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> 
DA Nora asks Cabot if she's bitten off more than she can chew. So DA Stan is there too. I'm just calling him DA Nora and DA Stan. DA Stan says he has doubts about this whole thing. Cabot's like, why? DA Stan thinks that using a male stripper in the first real test of this type of crime is just like a dumb move. Mm-hmm. Cabot says that she doesn't think that his profession should matter at all, which it fucking shouldn't, but you know. <laughs> nope. Yeah. DA Nora doesn't want Cabot to dismiss the charges, but she wants DA Stan to sit first chair. DA Nora <laughs> thinks it's a good idea Cabot sits second chair because Cabot lost an important case to Pam once, and people will question Cabot's motives. Cabot understands, and ultimately their main focus is representing Peter to the best of their ability, so she's like, cool. You know, she's kind of like not into it, but she's like, fine, you know? And I didn't know until this episode that it was called first and second chair, mm-hmm. which just makes me picture them playing violins and shit. Cabot hands D.A. Nor the emotion. Because that's orchestra speak as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As well, they do that. <laughs> they do the chairs. Cabot hands D.A. Nor the motion Pam's lawyer, Miss Maddox, gave her. Apparently, they're trying to challenge the law. So now we're in the judges' chambers. Cabot and D.A. Stan believe that the motion is a deceptive attempt to argue the law in front of the judge when something like this should only be heard in the appellate court. The trial isn't about changing that law. The old law on rape was that only men could be charged with rape. And they changed it because it was gender bias, like, not that long ago. And it was, like, all the stuff I didn't understand what they were saying. Yeah, but the case that got referenced was the People versus Liberta, one in which a shitty husband was trying to get out of the consequences of raping his wife in front of their toddler by arguing that it's not fair that at that time only men could be charged with that crime. So he didn't mean to actually be doing good. This guy was actually a piece of shit trying Mm -hmm. to jump through a loophole. Actually trying to create a diversion where it's like, well, it's not fair that only guys can get whatever. That had nothing to do with any of it. But they Mm -hmm. were just like, okay, well, we're going to change that because now that you bring it up, yeah, that's fucking dumb. Yeah. And here Maddox is just trying to muddy shit with that. Like she's grasping at straw as well yeah so da stan still thinks it's a constitutional argument and that this should be in appellate court it should only be heard if maddox loses the trial the judge decides she'll hear it anyways she tells maddox that she better be prepared and brief about it and it's getting wild out here tarshar is my note <laughs> so now we're in the trial miss maddox starts off hot saying that rape is a violation of body and mind through penetration and that women cannot rape men because they can't penetrate Okay. Cabot fires back that women can be charged with sodomy one by filleting a dude against his will. She's not penetrating, but still can be charged. Maddox says that she thinks that arousal implies consent. And Cabot says that a physical response does not override a vocal no, which is like awesome. Okay. Yeah. That was just like really well put, really succinctly and, and well very put. simple and like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maddox says that most men do not maintain an erection through fear. Cabot fucking zings her and says, some men do. What do you propose? A Timescence exam? And I was like, ha! And then the judge was like, save your wit for your friends, Miss Cabot. And I was like, ha ha! Just all these fucking (laughs) badass women. Yeah. Just doing badass women shit. Like so uh, Cabot says rape is not about sex. It's about violence and control. And then Maddox says that no woman has ever been brought to trial for this because women are the victims. Cabot says that it wasn't long ago that it, nobody believed that a mother could murder their own kids. Now the mom is the first person they look at. Shit mm-hmm. changes, you know? Yeah. Yep. Just because you can't wrap your mind around it doesn't make it not yeah. true. And that's the fucked up thing about like this argument that's happening in this fictional courtroom. It's all speculating. Like none of it is based in the law. It's just like conjecture, you yeah. know? I shouldn't say like shit changes. Mothers kill their children 
all the time, and it was happening even before people believed it or not. People you know just what I mean? gain an understanding of the reality. Right. Yeah. So then Maddox says, women do not have the anatomical equipment to be equal to men under this law. And the judge was like, excuse me? Mm-hmm. She says, the law makes no room for selective equality under the First Amendment. Either women are equal to men or they aren't. Motion to dismiss is denied. Boom. Maddox is internally like, no. Nah. But then externally like, oh, I'm going to go get lunch. Yeah. She's so cool. She is cool. <laughs> Peter and Cabot are walking into Cabot's office. Peter asks Cabot if all this means that it'll go to trial. She says it's a small victory and it's going to get hard. He says it's already started. He's getting mean phone calls from women, people shouting at him. He's been chased by reporters and cameras. The defense is going to look through his past and poke holes in his story. So she's like, if there's shit that you want to change, you got to do it right now. Tell me what needs to be known here. Like, don't keep me in the dark about anything. I need to know all this shit. Mm-hmm. Peter says that sounds like putting the victim on trial and I didn't think that that's what was happening here he's like my dad said it wasn't allowed <laughs> <laughs> she says it's not but there's ways to sneak around it and Maddox is a good fucking lawyer so she's going to yeah he looks concerned but insists that there's nothing to be concerned about darty eyes darty eyes yeah. so now we're in trial DA Stan is interviewing another woman who was at the party she says that she thinks Peter arrived at like 10pm he was dancing and doing all that shit she was too busy like looking at his dick to notice if Amelia and Pam were in the room Mm -hmm. She's like, I was distracted, so I I don't know. She only noticed they weren't there when Sid came out and told them to leave. Okay, so, you know, Sid is the obviously the third woman who was in the beginning, the one that died of the autoerotic asphyxiation, in case we forgot about her. Yeah. The lady said Sid had parties before and never kicked anybody out and thought it was kind of rude at the time. Now DA Stan is interviewing Peter. We're talking DA Stan Villani, okay, the one who's Mm -hmm. sitting first chair. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, I'm like, oh my God, I've never thought this before, but right now I do. He looks strikingly similar to Maury Povich. This is probably not a hot take. I'm sure if I Googled it, it, they would come up in side-by-sides all the time. Hmm. I'm not going to Google it right now. Don't. But when you see him next, you're going to be like, hey, you know who you look like? And he's going to go, ugh, Maury Povich. (laughs) And you're going to go, yeah. And then he's going to be like, "Mm, I'm going to go fuck my office robot. (laughs) I'll be like, hey, say it. Say it. And he'll be like, you're not the father. And I'm like, ah! There it is, yeah. (laughs) He's like, it wasn't me. So now DA Stan is interviewing Peter. He's asking how Sid, Amelia, and Pam subdued him. Peter's like, well, one had a letter opener and was like fucking trying to stab me, and the other two were pulling me backwards. I thought they were all just a little drunk, blowing off steam. Sometimes women get a little nuts, you know, at these parties, and it's it's usually fine. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be okay, but then Amelia cuffed him to the bed. Like, and think about that, too. Stabler talking about him fighting the women off. So he's at this bachelorette party. It's a place full of women he goes with the host to her office the lights flip on there's two other women that are like blah you know and they're all drunk and being weird and then like two of them are like pulling on you or whatever well, the next one's got thing a fucking you know, knife on you and the other two are pulling you back like you're it's a lot going on and like you're probably maybe a tiny bit scared but probably more like irritated annoyed um yeah, confused like, oh, just give me my fucking money like give me yeah. my money. like all you fucking drunk ladies like jesus christ and the next thing you know you're fucking handcuffed then what was he supposed to do then he's like fuck so he yells yeah 
and then they turn up the music and kick everybody out. That's when the reality of what's going on can really go through your mind. Yeah. You know, you're not prepared for that at all times. Especially being a dude. Yeah. DA stands done asking question. The redirect. All of a sudden, fucking Pam stands up like she's going to ask Peter some questions. Cabot and DA Stan both saying, objection, objection. Like they're fucking fiddler on the roof. Oh. Yeah. Maddox, Pam, Imagine Cabot. Imagine if it busted into a musical. Would you oh like this episode then? I would. I would. Objection, <laughs> objection, objection. <laughs> so Maddox, Pam, Cabot, and DA Stan got called up to the judge. The judge says she's fucking repulsed that they think that they can have Pam interview a victim, alleged victim. Maddox says Pam is a good standing member of the bar and she's protected by the Constitution to run her own defense. And then Cabot says this is an intimidation tactic and asking Peter to relive the rape. Pam objects and says, quote, alleged rape. The judge thinks that this is super shitty, but she doesn't have the power to keep Pam from cross-examination. So fucking Pam looks at Peter and it is super weird, okay? This whole thing is weird. I don't like it. She's like, um, Peter, do you go to the gym regularly? She's saying that she can prove Peter can protect himself. Okay. Judge, the judge is like, fucking move on, Pam. She then asked Peter if he filed a civil suit for $5 million against Sid. He's very worked up. Cabot's like, what is this? What the fuck? He doesn't really want to answer. The judge orders him to. He says yes. So this is the fucking thing he didn't tell Cabot. Mm-hmm. Pam gives a copy of the civil suit to the judge filed by the, quote, alleged rape victim. Peter yells. He's like, I didn't want the money. He, I just wanted the names of the other women. Pam and... Amelia. Pam's like, I want an immediate dismissal. Like, she fucking really did something here. Okay, so now we're at the county clerk's office or something. I don't know. They're in this room. Stabler's pissed and asking what went wrong. Cabot tells Stabler, he's like, you were fucking right about Peter. Peter said he didn't think that the civil suit mattered, and DA stands like, everything fucking matters. You jeopardize this trial. What else are you lying about? Peter insists there's nothing else. Benson wants to know why he didn't tell them about the lawsuit. And he's like, dude, Stabler's been on my fucking ass since the beginning of this looking for any reason to drop it stabler says it's been all about the payday and media attention for peter peter's like no i wanted my rapist names the cops made fun of him he didn't know how else to get the info mm-hmm. if he had won the money he was going to give it to the animal shelter anyways of course he would because he's amazing so da stan doesn't see how they can prove his motives for the civil suit were anything but getting money and attention Benson wonders if they get the civil attorney and put him on the stand. So Staber's like, (laughs) (laughs) and Peter's had a fucking enough of Stabler. And he's like, what do you have against me? I was raped. Sid was coming forward. And Benson's like, wait a minute. What? What do you mean? Sid called you? Turns out Sid had called Peter's lawyer. And after SVU accused Peter of killing Sid, Peter called his lawyer and the lawyer told Peter that Sid had agreed to give him the names, but then Sid's death nullified the suit. This is where I'm like, I am doubling down on Amelia and now fucking Mm -hmm. Pan too. Are you saying Pam or Pan? (laughs) I said Pan for you. (laughs) I know. I know you did. (laughs) Now we're in the precinct. Benson walks in. Peter was telling the truth. The civil suit lawyer said Peter didn't want the money, just the names. And the day before her death, Sid contacted Peter's lawyer to set up a meeting. Benson says it sounds like a motive for murder. Mm -hmm. Sid's husband, Andrew, from the beginning, remember, the guy who walked in, didn't know about the civil suit. But Pam had a copy of it. And then I was like, oh my God, it was an autoerotic asphyxiation. Pam and Amelia killed Sid and made it look mm. like an accident. Mm. Yeah. Ah! Yep, 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 yep. What? 
The civil suit gets expunged after death, so the copy Pam had was before Sid died. Mm-hmm. Oh, now all of a sudden, Pam has a motive. Mm-hmm. Stabler's on board now. Fucking finally. Welcome. Yeah. He says, Sid called her friend saying that she's giving in, and Amelia and Pam killed her. Time to take a second look at the body. Mm-hmm. Now in the Emmy office, Corner Warner's back. Thank God. Fucking clean up all this shit that Emmy Justin can't figure out. She's like, fuck you, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> She goes, he's good, but he's not imaginative. Corner Warner says that Justin missed that most women don't use porn. They fantasize. What? I don't understand where they're getting their facts from, but... Whatever. Yeah. Okay. She also says that autoeroticism is habit-forming, and usually people will use a towel or a scarf or something to keep the rope from chafing, and there wasn't one. There wasn't a sign of a struggle because it was quick. The ropes were tied properly, so whoever tied them was definitely into autoerotica. The detectives then asked Coroner Warner to come and take a look at the crime scene. So now with the crime scene, the morning of the attack, there were two outgoing calls from Sid to both Amelia and Pam. Stabler says Sid let them each know she was giving in to Peter's demands so that she could save her marriage with Andrew. Amelia and Pam decide to kill her and they came prepped. It was a blitz attack. Stabler, Benson, and Coroner Warner do a role play, but not like in our alone time dreams, but like a cop <laughs> one. Stabler's playing Sid. Coroner Warner has the rope and she goes behind Stabler and throws it around his neck and it's fucking hot. <laughs> Basically, there was no struggle because it was too fast, like they said earlier. Mm-hmm. Amelia and Pam carry her into the bedroom, truss her up. The hypoxia takes care of the rest. They're thinking that the gal staged the scene with candles and music in the porn. Benson stands in the bed to look at the ceiling fan Sid was hanging from and realizes that CSU didn't dust for prints on the ceiling anywhere else but near the fan. She had to like kind of prop herself up. Corner Warner seems like a little irritated because of baby Justin. It's like she takes one three-day fucking weekend and everything goes to shit. (laughs) Right. Two people who could have gotten away with murder because of this guy. She's like, he's not very imaginative. Do you mean he's not good at solving crime? <laughs> you, you just start thinking about all the times people have gotten away with shit. Or in the interrogation room, Cabot walks in to see Amelia and her lawyer waiting for her. She says that Amelia is under arrest for the murder of Sid. Cabot is trying to get a deal made. She wants Amelia to plead out to murder two and all the charges in exchange for her testimony against Pam. Amelia's lawyer is like not impressed. Cabot tells him that Amelia's prints were found at the crime scene. Amelia's lawyer is a not impressed. <laughs> is that how <laughs> it sounded? Said it was, yeah, it was great. Amelia. <sighs> Cabot tells them Amelia's prints were found at the crime scene on the fucking ceiling. They also searched Amelia's apartment and found autoerotic paraphernalia. Amelia's lawyer says it's all circumstantial. Cabot asks him to tell Amelia to remove the scarf around her neck. And then Amelia's like, mm, the time that I get out of prison, I'll be eligible for senior citizens discounts. Cabot says she'll take this shit to trial and Amelia will get life. Amelia kind of like leans into her lawyer for like a little secret chat and then gives in. And then Cabot asks Amelia to tell her about the whole rape. So Cabot's a total badass. We all can agree on that. But this shit is all circumstantial. Her fingerprints mm-hmm. are at her friend's house. She's got the same kink, which is not weird since they admitted to boning Peter and maybe they had had other encounters together. Mm-hmm. All of this can be easily disputed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like just because she, you know, she's like, oh, take off your little Fred from Scooby-Doo ascot and show us what's on your neck. And it's like, big deal. We're both into fucking choking shit like who cares that has nothing to do with anything it doesn't prove anything yeah but we're getting to the end of the episode so she's like "Uh uh-oh i better confess 
Mm-hmm. Now we're at court. Cabot is questioning Amelia on the stand. She said that Sid was getting married and Pam and her didn't like Andrew. Sid planned her own shower and Peter came as entertainment. Pam pulled Amelia aside and said that she had worked out a private performance with Peter. Also, Pam- can I stop? If you guys are such good friends, why does she plan her own shower? They didn't like Andrew. Still bitchy. Yeah. Then why even go to it? Yeah. So Pam and Amelia went into Sid's office to wait. I'm like, just set aside the fact that you probably murdered her. You guys are not good supportive friends. (laughs) Right. Amelia said when Sid and Peter came into the room, they cuffed Peter to the bed and raped him. Amelia got his keys out of his pocket and released him when they were done. And then Pam threw some cash at Peter and he left. Now it's Miss Maddox's turn to question Amelia. Maddox says, do you know how the law defines rape in the first degree? And Amelia says, sexual intercourse through forcible compulsion. Maddox laughs and says... Quote, three women raped a six foot, 170 pound man. This is insane. Do we know that 170 pounds isn't a big dude? I know. Three adult people. Women. And one adult person. It doesn't sound crazy to be overtaken by three fucking women. It doesn't sound. Fourth graders. Yeah. Especially when you're in. It's it's not a hundred tiny horses or one giant duck. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, Maddox is like, oh, this guy, this gigantic 170 pound guy. Oh, that's unbelievable. Maddox asked who handcuffed Peter to the bed. And Amelia admitted that she herself is the one who did it. Maddox bursts out. So you raped the stripper, not my client. Cabot objects. She's like, what's the question? <laughs> Maddox goes, I'm sorry. Did paying Peter seem like the act of a rapist or that of a satisfied customer? Jesus. Fuck. What? Cabot objects, but Maddox keeps going. Was it your testimony that Pam made arrangements for Peter to give a private performance? Amelia says, that's what she said. No. (laughs) Amelia says, that's what she said. Like, she said Mm -hmm. that this is what he was coming back here for. Maddox says, did you see her give him the money? And Amelia says, yeah. And it's like the music is all sad strings. Like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never. <laughs> so now we're in the trial the judge is asking the jury their judgments on the charge of rape in the first degree not guilty on the charge of sodomy in the first degree not guilty unlawful imprisonment not guilty i don't know how the how can you be handcuffed or whatever mm-hmm. and assault in the third degree guilty pam is free to go until the sentencing cabot and da stan apologize to peter for not getting pam And he's like, hey, you know, one is better than none. In the court hallway, Pam is surrounded by the media. When all of a sudden, Benson comes up to her and places her under arrest for the murder of Sid. Yes. Well, Benson and Stabler are cuffing her. Pam fucking leans into Cabot and says, I'll beat this charge too, counselor. Just watch me. And Cabot says, all your courtroom knowledge won't get you out of this one. And the media records are getting dragged away in cuffs. So then Maddox comes up to her and she's like, yeah, good game. I'll buy you a drink to bargain over Pam's prison time. And they like walk off. Cool. <laughs> oh, the end. The end. Okay. This chaser is about someone that you're going to hate. And I kind of hope you don't know about her yet. Okay. Okay. Do you know about Joyce McKinney? I don't think so. Mm. Joyce McKinney was born... Joy, actually, on August 6th, 1949, as an only child growing up in a small North Carolina town in the Appalachian Mountains, Joyce competed oh God, here we in... Go. <laughs> you know who else grew up in Appalachia? Fucking Dolly Parton, so... That's true. And Loretta Lynn. I'm like, have a fucking seat. Anyway, this woman's a monster. So... 
Joyce competed in beauty pageants and in 1973 even became Miss Wyoming. Hmm. Then she went on to compete in the Miss USA pageant. So beauty queen, okay? She also became interested in the Mormon religion in college when she was staying with a Mormon family. She was infatuated by the Osmonds and allegedly had a relationship with Wayne Osmond, one of the brothers of Donnie and Marie. Hmm. So it was said that Joyce had set out initially before this whole thing. She had set out to permeate the Osmond social circle to get an in with them. But then Olive Osmond, God, how many the Osmonds mom, there? there's a bunch. Yeah. But the, the mom was not a fan it's of like Joyce. It's like Yeah, but Mormon. They're the Mormon Arquettes. I didn't know that they were Mormon. The Osmonds? Yeah, I had no oh, idea. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. So their mom was not a fan of Joyce and made all the efforts she could to keep her at arm's length. At 25, when she was getting her doctorate in drama at Brigham Young University, the famous Mormon college in Utah, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally know. It was... Do you? Is this, no, I've never... Oh, Brigham Young. Oh, it's, oh Brigham it's, Young. I've heard the name, but I didn't know it was a Mormon thing. Yeah, it's, it's a college and all the Mormons go there. Any Mormon who's any Mormon goes there. <laughs> It was there that she met 19-year-old undergrad Kirk Anderson. The year was 1977. They started dating, which led to a physical relationship, which was a violation of the church, and Kirk was wrecked with guilt about it Mm -hmm. because he had sex. Yeah. So he went and confessed his wrongdoings to church elders and decided he needed to leave to go and do missionary work. Sure. Ding dong. Hello, my name is Elder Price. (laughs) Right? Ding dong. Hello. Have you seen Book of Mormon? I haven't seen it, but I know about it. Oh my God. You haven't seen it? (gasps) So he's going to go do missionary work. The end. Just kidding. So Joyce had said not only did she lose her virginity to Kirk, but she had become pregnant and miscarried. And she was pissed at the church for splitting the two up. Yeah. She knew Kirk wanted to be with her, so she followed him on his initial trips to California and Oregon, but he apparently had been using... Apparently! (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm. Apparently! You don't know what I'm talking about? The apparently kid? Apparently, I've never been on live television before. (laughs) Yeah, yes, yeah. Apparently! (laughs) Apparently! And I wait for my grandma watches the Powerball. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) So apparently he was using a fake name so she couldn't find him. Mm -hmm. So there are clearly two very different perspectives here. So then Kirk leaves the country. Okay, he's going to go do missionary work abroad. Mm -hmm. Joyce hired a private investigator to track him down. He was found in England and Joyce was like, cool, I'm going to grab my friend Keith May and we're going to go across the pond. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not only did her friend come with her, but she had also hired two bodyguards for the trip through like a newspaper ad. One was a bodybuilder, Gil Park, and the other was a pilot, Jackson Shaw. It wasn't until they were in the hotel room in England when the two hired men backed out after finding out what the real plan was. On September 14th, 1977, Joyce confronted Kirk on the steps of a meeting house of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints mm-hmm. with Keith, who was posing as some kind of investigator. Okay. I have no idea what Keith's deal was, honestly. Like, I couldn't find any information about this guy. But he was... Keith? Joyce is like, let's go do some fucked up shit. And Keith's like, cool. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. I'm bored. Let's go, girl. So Keith and Joyce took Kirk at gunpoint to the car, chloroformed Mm -hmm. him, and drove him to a rented cottage out in the countryside of Devon. Yeah. Joyce handcuffed him to a bed and raped him over several days. 
she was trying to get pregnant. Yeah. Allegedly. At some point within the three days, you know, there's not a whole lot of detail about exactly what happened in the cabin outside of those things. Mm -hmm. But Kirk told Joyce at some point in these three days that he wanted to marry her, but he needed to like go and like talk to somebody or whatever first. So she let him go free. She let him leave by himself and he went straight to the British police. Yeah. And she was picked up for kidnapping. Surely she got harsher charges than that, you say. Mm. No, there was no precedent under British law. There was never a case like this in the law books where the victim was a dude. Okay. Mm -hmm. He insisted that he was raped and they were like, no, mm -mm. that's not how that worked. It was the same fucking stabler popped out behind a fucking bag of fish and chips and was like, no, (laughs) just it was disgusting. So during the trial that took three weeks, Joyce insisted that she was just a lovesick woman trying to free Kirk from his mental captivity. She said this in court. I think I should explain sexual bondage and Kirk's sexual hangups. Kirk was raised by a very dominant mother. He has a lot of guilt about sex because his mother has overprotected him all his life. He has to be tied up to have an orgasm. She's saying this in court. Okay. And this shit went through the tabloids. Mm -hmm. The tabloids also wrote such bullshit headlines. Like one of the headlines I saw was three days of fun, food, and sex. Mm-hmm. They painted her as this feminist leading the way to sexual liberation. She was also dubbed Madam Mayhem. This this whole story went viral before viral was a thing. Like mm-hmm. it was worldwide, this news. A quote of Joyce's from court that the press ran with was, quote, I loved Kirk so much that I would have skied down Mount Everest in the nude with a carnation up my nose. Okay. Okay. They created a narrative. I mean, it was it was a wild story. And Joyce was eating up all of the attention, right? Mm-hmm. She even sold her story to British tabloids. One of them bought the story for 40,000 pounds, which is 225,000 pounds today, which is equivalent of 310,000 US dollars, which is about... 415 Australian dollars. (laughs) I just love our Aussie listeners and I wanted them to not have to do that math. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, this bitch got fucking paid. Paid, paid, paid. Selling her story. Meanwhile, Kirk's over there maintaining that he was held against his will and forced to have sex with Joyce multiple times. She spent three months in Holloway Prison in London. She was released on bail because she apparently had declining mental health. So this was kind of messy because it was like, I think she was awaiting sentencing. But then another thing I read said that she had been sentenced like a year. Doesn't matter. Either way, as soon as she was out, Joyce and again, conflicting, I found something that said it was Keith May and something that said that it was her landlady. Mm -hmm. So Joyce and someone else fucking got on a plane and fled the country. They flew to Canada, got fake passports and came back to the US. They were posing as nuns. Okay. Okay. She went to this inner city school that really needed to get like cleaned up and help in their music department. And (laughs) oh my God. (laughs) So they were trying to cross into the US from Canada as these nuns. It didn't fool authorities and they were arrested for falsifying passports. But England decided not to extradite her. 
Why? They were just like, oh, so much work. Okay. She didn't stay out of the press. I mean, she fucking loved it. She always said that her intent was to deprogram Kirk from a cult mentality and that the use of her body raping him was to help that. She insisted that it was consensual and Kirk was adamant that it wasn't, obviously. Yeah. Again, with the media shit, they like fully rolled out the red carpet. She was a tabloid sensation. She went to movie premieres and hung out with rock stars and became like this weird pseudo celebrity before reality celeb was a thing. Meanwhile, there's this victim being made a mockery of. Mm -hmm. He got no justice and she was being like splashed all over the front pages of every paper, tabloid, everything, not necessarily celebrating her, but not not celebrating her. You know, something I read, two of the major tabloids in England, one put out this scathing expose on her Mm -hmm. because they had found nude photos that she had taken or whatever. And we're like, oh, look, at she's trash, you know, for that reason. Yeah, that's the reason a woman can be a piece of shit. And then the other one did like an editorial piece on her which was tasteful and like painted her in a good light so she's just all over the place right cut to 1984 kirk's coming out of his job at the salt lake city airport and sees who sitting in a car outside fucking joyce what is she doing there this is six years later utah police arrest her at this time for stalking they found a notebook in her car detailing kirk's movements and in the trunk were handcuffs and rope oh my god this fucking no shit can you imagine being this fucking guy no how scary is that and also hearkening back to like what we were talking about before he was not trained to like we walk through our day-to-day lives it's not okay but we're like trained from a very young age to have your head on a swivel you know yeah and when you're not and then all of a sudden you're strong i can't imagine what that for that to be new we were put in the shallow end and so like now we're treading water and we're fine with it and he just got pushed off the diving board on the other side yeah you know he didn't have all those years of fear yeah I mean, yeah. So, yeah, she gets arrested. She told police that she just wanted to talk to Kirk and see how he was doing. Fucking yikes. Yeah. Since the whole insane event, Kirk Anderson has maintained a quiet life, refusing interviews. He wouldn't even talk to Errol Morris, who in 2010 made a documentary called Tabloid about the whole insane situation and the Mm. media whirlwind that followed. Joyce did participate in it, thinking it would present her the way she wanted to be seen as a dedicated woman in love who was wronged. The doc actually is a lot more unbiased than that. It kind of just like lets you decide. But she looks un hinged and not well right because she is and it's also nuts that it's unbiased because kirk was raped yeah still joyce hates it and tried to sue which of course was thrown out so there's a few times that she's come up in the news since kirk just never got justice for it okay there's no clean ending to that situation. But Joyce goes on to have the most bonkers like life experiences. First of all, so she's this rapist who evades capture, doesn't get extradited and is like living this famous person situation. In 2008, she kind of popped up again because she had paid a South Korean firm over $50,000 to clone her pit bull, Booger. Oh, Yeah. Did they? They did. And it was this big advancement and being able to clone your dogs there were five of them that came from this lab from this cloning so she had five of these dogs that were clones of her original pity 
In 2019, she killed Gennady Bolotsky, a 91-year-old Holocaust survivor in a hit and run. She ran him over while he was out walking his dog. So he's like walking across in this crosswalk and she's driving a truck, runs him over, stops for a second, and then keeps going. It was caught by a surveillance camera. So she was ID'd pretty quickly. But by this time, she was homeless and living out of her vehicle. Mm. She was charged with vehicular manslaughter and was facing 11 years in prison. But then in February of 2020, a judge ruled that she wasn't competent to stand trial. The last I read, she was admitted into the LA County mental health system. Mm -hmm. And they continued to have hearings to see if she was competent. And the last one that I recall was August of 2020, I believe. Mm. And so she's just in this uh, mental health facility right now. In looking for cases that lined up with this episode, this one kept popping up, obviously, because it's like extremely well known. There's a documentary, but it really, again, like we see this all the time. The actual victim gets lost in the story Mm -hmm. and she's this over the top character, this perpetrator. Do you hate her? Yeah, of course. She sounds awful. One of the last psychiatrist or whatever that that testified about her said that she's very clearly a narcissist it's very obvious that she may be incapable of caring for anyone but herself yeah she's just not well which sucks because it sounds like i'm giving her an excuse for like thinking that what she was do what she did to kirk no. was okay and it's explanation fucking far excuse. from that yeah not an excuse no yeah. does not make it okay he was a victim weird well cool hated it what's the next episode Next week, we have season three, episode 11, Monogamy. So an attacker rips a fetus from a woman's womb, launching (gasps) the detectives on a frantic search in hope that the baby survived. Oh, Oh. Jesus. Here we go. Oh, Tasha. Monogamy. Boop, 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 Monogamy. (laughs) I got to pretend like you didn't just say that. (laughs) I blocked it out. (laughs) It's how I cope. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> well, that sounds awful. Let's do that. <laughs> Fuck. Thanks for listening. Okay, everybody. <laughs> All right. And to our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Nikki B, Marissa M, Elky H, Sarah A, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, and Alexa. <laughs> We love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. (laughs) That's Uh, from Elf. Elf is a Christmas movie. Christmas is coming. Barf. Let's do some acid about it. (laughs) (laughs) Follow us on all social medias at SVU pod. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Check out www.svupod.com. Check out our Patreon too. Um, We got fucking tons of episodes you get cutting room floor the extended version of each episode every week so right we call that a garbage cookie uh and then we have other stuff we have friendship boat friendship boat episodes (laughs) (laughs) uh we have friendship boat episodes as you know hashtag little bit loud support small podcasts yeah go on facebook and join the elite squad fucking facebook group i fucking love that group and i love that like people are like talking to each other too mm-hmm. and it's like so fucking fun i love when people pull shit on there yeah me too that's it love you bye love you bye yeah <laughs> what you mean? i'm gonna just take it all out <laughs> so cabin fires back that women that's can what she be said char- sorry <laughs> 